This is KBOO. I'm John Shack. You're listening to The Beloved Community. My next guest says he's a modern-day rabbi with John Lennon's inclusivity and a Blues Brothers mission. Welcome, Rabbi Brian, to The Beloved Community. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me here. Religion Outside the Box is your website, and you have a lot of activity on that. Um, uh, spiritual direction, a, a book, uh, newsletters, uh, and all kinds of different things that we're, we're, we're going to talk about. Um, and But first I want to talk about uh, the title, Religion Outside the Box. What uh, What is the box for you? I, I don't have a brick-and-mortar congregation. I heard from someone, they used the phrase, I have a click-and-mortar that it's it's uh-huh. internet based. That I, God doesn't. If you can define God, it's not God. That uh, there are a lot of. Well, I'll also tell you the the backstory was. Um, my wife's late brother used to when they were driving, he would pass a church and he would say with horrible disdain, "Oh, another God box." So <laughs> there's some some part of. Um, Without the disdain, but this is religion outside the box. This is not in a congregation. This is not within four walls. This is religion um, wherever people are, whatever works for them. And outside of institutions whatsoever. You are a rabbi. You are an ordained rabbi. I am indeed. Uh, and do you do this as an aspect of being an ordained rabbi, or? Yeah, yeah. This is this is my this is my calling. This is my mission. This is my calling body, if you will. Um, is the people for whom organized religion may or may not fit them perfectly. I have a lot of people who are in organized religion who are members of religion outside the box, and a lot of people who are spiritual but not religious who don't feel uh, fit. And that's a lot of people think of our area in the Northwest, uh, one of the most uh, secular regions uh, in the country. Yeah. And so for a lot of people, uh, we'll talk about uh, spirituality outside the box. In fact, my program used to be called Religion for Life, and uh, and uh, many people objected to it. Uh, they said, religion isn't for life, religion's for death. Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> and so, but that's the... That's the perception. For them, it is, and uh, because they've seen a well, lot of religion that is regarded as, as narrow. Uh, uh, there's as, a quote people say, as they say, um, religion is something that, that people do to look at what happens after life, and spirituality is what you do to get through life. I don't necessarily agree with the, the, the details of the quote, but I get the idea. Or, uh-huh. So I also like to add the word organized, that there's religion— and then there's organized religion. And that, that organized religion is simply a set of beliefs and practices. And as, as I like to say, it's not one size fits all. And I, I believe much more of a, um, there are great things in organized religion. And I, 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 I love my, my tradition. I love many other traditions. But it doesn't necessarily fit people as they are. So religion outside the box is trying to help people figure out what works for them. And, and as you say uh, throughout the website, the point is pretty clear that you're not uh, proselytizing or trying to convince anybody or yeah. say this is what is the best way to believe or anything like that. It's actually kind of what, what I get what you're doing. You tell me if I got this right, is break, helping people break down their own barriers to right. find what is significant for right. them. There's, there's a great quote by Rumi. He said, your job isn't to find love. It's to find all the reasons you're not accepting love. So re- religion being being somewhat the same is what what, do, what can you do 
to have a more religious life, or if you don't like the word religious, to have a more spiritual life. You grew up in, in Manhattan, I in uh, New York City. Uh, what was uh, your childhood like? Happy? I don't remember a lot of my childhood, um, uh, but I... I that's a weird question. I, I, you can ask my therapist for that. I, I, how am I? Um, it was a fine childhood. I enjoyed it. It was what I knew. And uh, I got to college and I thought, oh, my God, this, there's so much I don't know. And I, I saw the world very, very differently than, than I had in my childhood. And I continue to grow and, and to learn. Strange, yeah. strange question, John. How was your childhood? It, it was a happy childhood, um, um, and the reason I'm asking you that because part of your website talks about a joyous life, and so I'm, I'm curious if that has been a part of your all the way growing up, or is that something you discovered later? So I found myself. This is a great. Okay, I, I get your question. Um, I found myself. I recorded a podcast in 2006, and it was called "Complaining About the Cruise," and we had been on a family cruise and. I heard myself, when people were asking me about it afterwards, they said, how was the cruise? And I heard the stories I told, and I was telling stories of all the things that went wrong. And I was telling stories of, like, all the mishaps, which were, of course, funnier stories. But I, I, there was this little observer in the back of my head saying, why are you pointing out the flaws? Mm -hmm. And it's taken me a, a, a long time afterwards to go, I don't want to do that. And I, one of my favorite exercises that I've ever done was the 21-day no-complaint challenge, which is exactly what it sounds like, and it's as horrible as it sounds. And you try to go 21 days straight without complaining. And every time you complain, you have to reset the clock and go back to day one. And it took me over two months to go 21 days without complaining, but I did it. And I and I and my life is different. So... Um, I, I, so from where my childhood was to where I am, I'm much more blessed today than I was then. In fact, you have an exercise on your website uh, about kind of taking your, it isn't the word, your spiritual temperature is what I had, but I don't yeah, think yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. I have a spir uh, spiritual uh, fitness, self-assessment. That's it. And, and part of that is the level of how much uh, we look at life and regard it in terms of things to complain about or things to be grateful for. Yeah. And that's really an aspect of spirituality, isn't it? Moving a little bit more, at least have one more gratitude than the complaint. Is that well, we try to go with, uh, you know, in, in parenting, we always say that you're, you're supposed to give the kid four praise to one criticism. And just thinking of that, and I, I was a high school teacher for years, and you, anything where you have to correct a child and you have to say, don't do that, uh, you, you took out the wrong kind of paper, or any correction... And, and to challenge yourself to have four positives for every one negative. It's really quite a, quite a challenge, but oh my goodness, the reward is fantastic. You know, I've had, uh, I'm, I am still in the box in terms of uh, religion, and, and it's a wonderful box. I, uh, the the, the uh, congregation I have served, and the, several of them, uh, but a similar kind of thing that I've said to them and that I learned from someone else is that whenever you hear someone complain about the church or whatever it is, find find people to say three positive things about it yeah. right around to, to change a culture of complaint to a culture of there, gratitude. There's another one, and I'm working on this, is that uh, I heard a teacher say um, 
in every complaint, in every complaint, there's a commitment that if someone's complaining about something, if you can take it apart, you can see where they're actually committed to the ideal and they want to make it better. And I'm, I'm, this is, this is, uh, this is on my plate of things that I'm still working on is hearing other people's complaints as, as good. I'm, I'm doing quite well with not complaining myself. Okay, so hearing other people's complaints and then finding a way to say, you know, to not take it so personally, but also take the what's right. true about so it. So my, my bride says to me, um, you know, don't, wh why don't you put the, the sponge in the sponge holder? I've already told you four times about that. And if I, and I can do this now because it's not live in my house. When it's live in my house, I'm like, why is she up my buttocks, right? Uh, but now I can go, I can see it because I'm not in the situation going, she has a commitment to our family. She has a commitment to keeping things orderly. She has a commitment to um, making it actually easier for us to find where the sponge is if it's always in the same place. I'm not always so good at in real time yet. I'm not really good at in real time finding the commitment in every complaint. But what a great exercise. I'm speaking with Rabbi Brian, also known as Rabbi Brian Zachary Mayer, uh, lives in Portland, is the uh, creator, the keeper of a religion uh, outside the box, a modern-day rabbi with John Lennon's spirit inclusivity and a Blues Brothers mission. <laughs> That's the headline on the website. So what, tell me about the mission. Uh, the, the mission is, well, it depends on who's asking the question. Seeing you're asking the question, I will say that the mission is to help people find and be with the God of their understanding. Okay. Now, if somebody else asks the question, I don't use the G-O-D word, and I'll say that it's to help people live a more fulfilled spiritual life, which to me, those are the same thing, but often the G-O-D word will throw people off so much that I, I, I won't use that. Um, another way of putting the mission is to nourish spiritual hunger. It, they're all the same, but depending on the audience, I want to I, I want to cater to the audience so that it's in the words that they can best hear. You've counseled many people, thousands according to your website. So what is it that you find? Uh... <laughs> thousands according to the website. It's also true. But yes, okay. <laughs> Tell me, what is it that you found that people are looking for or, or what do they need even if they don't know they need it? Oh, that's a great question. What are people looking for that they don't necessarily know they need? Um, well, they know it, but they it's it's they don't they don't always act on it. They need freedom, mm. freedom. So here here's a nice thing to put on a bumper sticker: um, freedom to be themselves, freedom to free themselves from themselves, so they can be themselves. To get ourselves out of our heads, and and out of. I also think in we we talked a moment ago about complaining that our society seems to. Give people status based on how stressed out they are. And what people need is just a, a nice, gentle slap and going, that's not winning. Winning is being the most content person. Winning is being joyous, happy, and free. Winning is, is feeling like the world's going well. I, I'm about to fly to New York City where I grew up. And the to me, New York City, there's, there's this ethos in New York that a little bit of stress is good for your life, that it gives you an edge. And I'm like, no, 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 that's actually not good for your life. That's stress. That's not good. So, yeah, well, New York City, think of that's pretty high 
Yeah, that's where I grew competitive. up. Yeah, and, and and that's that's where. And you, yeah, talk about a little bit more about yeah. You're growing up. You grew. You uh, did you go to the synagogue? And I did. I, so I have to say, my across the street neighbor, John Lennon, lived across the street. So that. that oh, was, okay. That gives the John Lennon. All right. But, um, so I'm slightly to the south of John Lennon by a half a block. <laughs> um, so I grew up in New York City to a, a progressive, liberal Jewish family. We did like all the other Jews did and kind of the Easter and, and Christmas of Judaism. Of um, I went to Hebrew school, except when it wasn't convenient. I had a bar mitzvah. But it, 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 it at the... There's a joke that rabbis say is the reason we do a bar mitzvah for a kid when they're 13 is there's no way we could ever convince a 14-year-old to do it. <laughs> so I had a, my bar mitzvah at 13, but it didn't make sense to me. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and later when I told my parents, I said, you know, I'm going to apply to rabbinical school. My father literally said, what kind of job is that for a nice Jewish boy? This was not my family's ethos. It was this, you know, he should be a lawyer, an accountant, a stockbroker, not, not, uh, not a rabbi. <laughs> so uh, you, how old were you when you went to rabbinical school? Uh, 22, 23. Okay, so right away, right out of college, I, basically. I took the requisite year off after college to live at home. Okay. And then, and then went to rabbinical school. So you went there. What did uh, what'd you learn? I, I learned... Um, I learned how I'm supposed to be a rabbi. Like, yeah. I learned uh, by the book, here's, here the, this is how. You we, learned the box. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great stuff. But, you know, like with any artist, you, you have to learn how to paint classically until you can discover your own way of doing things. And I, I remember my, my senior sermon, I said that in, in religion, what we, what we have been doing in Judaism is that we flipped the two priorities and we've made priority one helping people be Jewish in priority two, helping people find holiness. And I said, we have to have it the other way around. We have to have priority one, helping people have fulfilled spiritual lives. And priority two is getting them to read in Hebrew. And one of my classmates, Scott, um, I remember he said, Brian, that's a great idea, but how do you do it? And I remember saying, um, I have no idea, but I'll find out. And, yeah. and, and it's taken me... You know, I've been outside the box for 10 years already. You know, it's it's interesting. As I was musing about my theological training, um, the people that we read about, you know, the, 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 the famous ones, mm -hmm. Moses, uh, throughout history, mm -hmm. um, they were pretty outside-the-box kind of people. I mean, they had a lot of fascinating things to say. Mm -hmm. And then we've just boxed them. Sometimes <laughs> with religion, yeah. we've kind of, you know, we've made it less interesting than our uh, forebears were. Yeah, it's safer. You know, we all want to be safe. But, you know, as they say, a ship in a harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. And isn't that it, safety? Isn't that what we've got to kind of help people um, take a little risk? Is that is that part of being yeah. be a little vulnerable here? That uh, perhaps our box has made us safe, but that's also and that's a good thing. We can got safety, but on the other hand, it's constricted us, and there's no life inside the box. It's life is always you know if you look in biology, life is always on the border between two uh, ecospheres. It's it's life is on the outside, on the edges. That's that's where that's where it's happening. Rabbi Brian is my guest. Uh, Religion Outside the Box is his website, rotb.org, where he does a lot of things. Uh, one of the things is, is a book that uh, you wrote uh, that it's called My Fun Theology Workbook, Finding Out What 
The God of Your Understanding Wants from You. Tell me a little bit about this book. Well, uh, this comes after doing a lot, uh, much work with people and helping them figure out their theologies. I find adults, you know, uh, many adults have about a fourth grade understanding of religion. And as my friend Larry says, there's nothing wrong with a fourth grade understanding of religion as long as you're in the fourth grade. And I, I want to help people to, to expand their, their views, expand their ideas of what God is. And most of what we understand about God isn't necessarily things that we were taught. They're things we picked up in our culture. And I, I found um, that mostly I have to help people unlearn what they think they know. And, and that, that's where the, the book comes from, is from my, my work with individuals. And as I, I like to joke, this is the best theology workbook on the market. And of course, also the worst. It is the only theology workbook on the market. It is uh, filled with exercises and things to think about. Um, and it's, it's uh, fantastic. I don't, in the book, ever tell anyone what they should do. This is what God wants from you. But I help people to figure out for themselves what does the God of their understanding want? What does the God of their understanding even mean? Perhaps the culture or what people have inherited is is either a punitive God or, yeah. as you mentioned, I think, or a Santa Claus kind of God or something that, uh, or the what is it, the vice principal? Yeah, yeah. so there are the four classic notions of God, um, the authoritarian God, which is like Zeus, the benevolent God, which is like Santa Claus, the critical God, which is like a, a high school vice principal, or the distant God, which is the great clockmaker or the God's not even around. And, and just to notice that this is the God that we are talking about and then to go, but that doesn't make sense to me. And I, I really like to empower people also to be messy in their theologies. Uh, this was for me a huge moment when, when I realized I didn't have, there are people who are smarter than me in the world and they haven't figured this stuff out. And once I said, well, they haven't figured it out, I don't have to figure it perfectly out either. Theologically, all my ducks don't line up. But I'm okay with that. And I want to encourage other people to, you don't have to have your God stuff completely mapped out. Just be working on it. Have, have a relationship with the God of your understanding. Have a relationship with your idea that God is your highest ideals. And how are you going to live those highest ideals? To introduce to people the idea of predicate theology, of that God is a verb, that we, we God in the world. And if you think that God is your highest ideals, it's a word that we use to, to mean our, our highest aspirations, how are you living your life to, to be your highest aspiration? Some people have left the idea of God altogether and said, uh, yeah. God doesn't make sense. I'm just going to leave it behind. Um, and, uh, and that's okay, too. Uh, but there is a sense in which, I mean, it's okay, whatever, wherever you are is wherever you are. Yeah. Uh, what advantage have you discovered in retaining God language? I think it's like if you're in a relationship with someone and you're not talking about a topic, you're not in, there's a hole, there's a void. And, and I want us, I want us liberals, uh, I want progressive Christianity, progressive Christians, progressive Jews, I want us to reclaim the word God because the people who are using it are using it, I don't want to say wrong, but they're not using it. They're using it in such a limited idea. And the notion of God, you know, in, in, in Judaism, we never write out the word God and we hold that you can't define what God is, you can only define what God isn't because the idea of God is transcendent. 
And when you get that God is beyond word, beyond anything, and you think about the people who are who are so certain about God, I, they, I'm certain that they're wrong. Yeah. So there's a, a sense in which it's not good to just give hand over the language because there think, are struggles with it. I think we need to reclaim it. I think we need uh-huh. to examine it. Go why? Why? You're sure these people aren't using it right, but the same way that. Um, the same way that minority groups will reclaim words, I want us to reclaim the word God. There's nothing wrong with the word. It's a lovely word. It's three letters long. You know, it's a, it's a, <laughs> as George Carlin would say, it's it's fine. It's just letters. It's a, it's just a sound. Why can't we use it? And uh, and the idea of spiritual growth is really expanding what those three letters can mean. And to understand for ourselves what those mean to us. Yeah to expand what does that mean for us and if you say i will not use those words i will not what you 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 boy you're cut, cutting off a lot so how did spirituality evolve for you is that a, how did how did you kind of you talk just, about if you're just tuning in john shuck <laughs> is asking rabbi brian questions that don't make sense to the rabbi what how does spirituality <laughs> evolve? I don't understand. How did you evolve? How did you come to a sense? Okay. What, what, what has okay. been your, what have been the people in your life? What's been the events in your life? Um, I'd say first I'd start with Euclid and math. And I love logic. I, I taught math for seven years. I'm, I'm, I'm certified at the highest levels to teach mathematics to students. I, I have a, a logical, rational brain. And I use that thoroughly, and um, but that only goes so far. Um, the rational side of life is great, but it's not fulfilling. Rational, if you're rational, you're eating, you're not dining. If you're rational, you're you're looking, but you're not seeing. If you if it's just rational, you're not living. You're 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 there's there's so you know it's what changes a a house to a home. It's Rational is good, but it's not great. And at some point, I saw the limits. I mean, love is not rational, and and joy is not rational. So I saw the limits of logic, and I I got to college, and I saw people who had joy, and I thought, oh, I want some of that. And um, and religion is filled with people who have had ecstatic, joyous. Lives, and I, I want to emulate that. I want to be a part of that too. So logic, uh, I think logic led me to be more and more spiritual. And you know, if you talk to a, a quantum physicist, they'll they'll let you know that the more they understand, the less they know. And I I think there's something in that. It's a spiritual experience to recognize the uh, immensity of the cosmos. Or... Yeah, or how small a molecule is, and go under that, and under that, and, under, and it's. it's when you see it with new eyes and you see it afresh, that's spiritual. That's that's beautiful. Rabbi Brian, my guest, have you had uh, uh, people in your life who, are, who you might call your, your spiritual mentors? Um, unfortunately, some of them are the people who annoy me the most. Ah, okay. <laughs> but I've also had the positives. I've had uh, my friend Larry. He's a Disciples of Christ minister, and he is one of the kindest people I've ever met in my life. He's just he's got a kind heart and he and i i thought um it's a quote by uh by saint augustine which was si ele cor non ego if he can do it why can't i 
and I saw Larry being as kind as he is, and I thought, if he can do that, why can't I be that kind too? And and there are other people who are filled with light and joy. The poet um, Hafiz, I, I don't know him personally, but he's written books that that I feel like I know him and I want to be more like him. I want to have his kind of relationship with the divine where he and God are just laughing together. I was introduced to Hafiz by uh, Daniel Ladinsky, yeah. who uh, translated uh, much of his works and they're talking about the, the joy or the, God laughing. at. Yeah, those are real humorous ways of yeah. pointing. So he's a spiritual teacher, mm-hmm. although, um, although we haven't met. <laughs> That's right. You have been doing spiritual direction for for some time with people. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. How that get going, and and what are, what are the things you do? Um, people are stuck in their lives and looking for help, um, and they they understand the intellectual, they understand the emotional, and they understand the physical. If intellectual, you can go to school and you can you can look at. Uh, books and the emotional you can go talk to a therapist and the physical you can go to the gym and go to a doctor and but the spiritual is how do you get help in all the area all the things that aren't those three and um i've been fortunate that people have called upon me to help them and i i will say to them i don't have the answers but i'm quite a good teacher and i'm a i've got a compassionate heart and i'm glad to ask the questions with you and help you to discover for yourself. And it's, it's, um, it's akin, uh, it, it works differently with different people. I have some people who I'll work assiduously for six weeks, and some people I've been working on and off for, for years, um, because every person is different. It's not a one-size-fits-all spiritual direction. It's who are you and what, what are your needs? And let's figure, I'm working with a woman right now and we're trying to figure out, she said she, uh, after talking for a while, she needs a, a, a theology transplant. Rabbi Brian has been my guest. Check out his website, rotb.org, Religion Outside the Box. Rabbi, thank you for being with me today. Oh, John, thank you very much. This is a pleasure. You've been listening to the beloved community resources for activism every second Friday at 9 a.m. on KBOO. I'm John Shuck. I host a weekly program called Progressive Spirit. For details, find the website, progressivespirit.net. Be well.